Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers can't even maintain a high energy level through the intro. Oh, I thought, I, I actually thought that I was sounding positive and cheerful. Did that sound negative? No, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to it through the first sentence. Yeah, well. Through the first three words. What we do here is we answer your questions. We yes. provide you with dubious advice. We bring you all the week's news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. And we stare into the middle distance wondering how we're going to make it through this. John, last, uh, you know, we've been talking on this podcast a lot about bad accents, mm-hmm. but I, I would like to now have you listen to the worst accent. Here it is. When what was that? That was Dark Temptation. I, I don't know what Dark Temptation The body is. spray. It is an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I worked on that one for a long time. <laughs> it's good. It's very. That's as good as a dad joke gets. Uh, it kept delivering. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it really kept you off. Kept on your heels there. Yeah. Off balance. That cheered me up considerably. Oh, thanks, Hank. I wonder if we should uh, address uh, an issue that has been on on both of our hearts. <laughs> pretty heavily. Do do you think that there is any way that this will still, like, people will remember this a week from now? I think we could jog their memory. And yes, I do think (laughs) that there is a chance because the thing about Uh, the thing about the song All Star mm -hmm. and the thing about the band Smash Mouth is that they have sailed through the calmest seas for 19 years and nothing that they could do could mess up the perfect trajectory of their stupid one hit until and like i got i mean i'll just let me me, i don't know what they've been up to let me tell you what bothers me about smash mouth playing a concert in south dakota in front of hundreds of people in august of 2020 it's not that decisions like that writ large are the reason why millions of kids 
can't go to school, mm-hmm. although that is frustrating. Mm-hmm. What gets me about Smash Mouth playing a concert in South Dakota in August of 2020 in front of maybe a thousand people not wearing masks is that Smash Mouth has plenty of money. They're doing okay. They are right? fine. I've not I don't I don't have access to Steve's bank account. They're good. But I think he's doing okay. They have All-Star. The song that has been played more in the last 19 years than any other song. It is unfortunately the yesterday of the 21st century. <laughs> Somehow, 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 and and it, like, and like, can't you just be grateful for that? Yes, yes. Can't you just think, wow, what a wonderful thing to have happened to me, despite the fact that it's like an okay song. I think since I can stay home, <laughs> I will stay home. <laughs> but it, and also, like, do you like that? Do you like? I don't know. It's August in South Dakota. Like, do you want to go to South Dakota right now? <sighs> Is that what you want? Hank and I have spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about the song All Star. Yes. Like, truly. Possibly more than than anyone else on Earth. Like, maybe. Except for maybe Steve. We might have thought more about the song than Steve has thought about the song. (laughs) Steve, of course, being the lead singer of Smash Mouth. We don't know his last name. That's one of the things we haven't found out in our 30,000 hours of thinking about Smash Mouth's All Star. It starts with an H and ends in an L. I can tell you that. I already regretted like 96% of the time I've spent thinking about Smash Mouth's All-Star. Now I regret a full 100% of it. The only silver lining Uh to any of this is that, thank God, we didn't do your proposed 478-part video (laughs) series where we make a video analyzing each shot of the All-Star music video because now we would be like 80 episodes into that series. We would both hate it in the same way that we are both deeply resentful of certain other All-Star-related projects. And we would still have like 400 videos to go and we would have to make those 400 videos while knowing that Smash Mouth (laughs) is part of the 2020 problem. Yeah, yeah, that's that is a that is a thing. I I have been expecting one of us to make a video it, that that is sort of sort of like like takes on the topic of when you start doing a thing and then like you're a certain way through it and you like realize that like it's not that great. Do you finish? Right. Or do or and like just bear it and be like, well, at least at the end, like there will be this feeling of I accomplished the thing. Or do you just do this like? Leave it hanging there halfway done. Or or worse than that, like like 75% of the way done. I hope you will make this video, Hank. And I hope you will begin the video by saying, say you're 75% of the way into a really stupid project that you already like semi-regret that like you originally started to try to bring people joy. <laughs> but at this point, it's become like a catalog of absurdities, but you can't figure out a way out of it. And then at that very moment, Smash Mouth plays a concert <laughs> in South Dakota. How do you move forward? Uh, and you can call the video, you could call the video, hit the ground running. <laughs>
Oh, God. People who don't know anything about our relationship with All-Star must be so confused right now. But, like, Hank has been playing... I, I, I don't want to explain to them. Okay, yeah, great. Let's not. Let's Yeah, let's just, let's just <laughs> move on. This first question comes from Maisie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was painting the ceiling in my bedroom, listening to Smash Mouth's All-Star, and it got me thinking, <laughs> at what point do the layers of paint make a noticeable difference in the volume of a room? Oh! Okay, this is oh, no. this is a great question because it raises the possibility mm-hmm. of a really beautiful and cool art project wherein you paint a room over and over and over and over and over again until you eventually mm-hmm. literally like paint yourself into a, a corner. Oh, you know, like you paint yourself into into a situation that you can't get out of. I find that like a very beautiful idea for uh, conceptual <laughs> art, but that is not Maisie's question. <laughs> So, like, the, the phrase, paint yourself into a corner, except, like, it's not that you have to, like, step on some wet paint. No. It's that, like, you die there. Yeah, yeah. It's like the cask of a montelita, ba-doo, ba-doo, ba-doo. You have to chisel your way out of the wall behind you. And then and then what you've got, John, yep. is a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of them is a really giant supply of Fordite. When I went to visit the largest world's largest ball of paint, which is this idea in reverse, and it is, you know, slowly taking up all of the space inside of the room that it's inside of, he he occasionally clips off paint from the bottom because it drips down and starts to touch the, the floor because the ball is too big. And, and those clippings are basically like stones with gorgeous layers of upon layer of paint and they look really really cool and this is a thing it's called fordite and it's when uh at car manufacturing plants they spray paint the cars but then like paint falls in certain areas over and over and over again and that is actually harvested by jewelers and they carve that paint stuff into like stuff for pendants or for rings and it's called Fordite and you can buy it on Etsy. No. Oh. And I think it's super cool. That is cool. So you have created a massive amount of Fordite and Fordite isn't like you it costs money. You have to like buy it. So maybe you've just got like a, a gold mine there. You'd also have to buy like the 400 million layers of paint that would be required to exercise this. It's true at probably not super super cheap. All right. Yeah. Maisie goes on to say, apparently you're supposed to repaint ceilings every 10 to 15 years and most people repaint their walls more often than that. So are all rooms shrinking? Yes, they are. Um and it appears I've done a I've done a little uh little research here. Per coat of primer is about um 25 microns, so that's a millionth of a meter. Mm. Uh, so you'd have to paint a lot, but yes, you are sacrificing some of your cubic footage to paint when you paint. So if you want to do the math, uh, take take what, what you will from 25 microns, but it's going to be a while. I wouldn't worry about your particular walls, Maisie, unless you're a conceptual artist and you're looking to do something really cool that will take you like three or four lifetimes. This next question comes from Poppy, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why can't we hear when we yawn? I had to yawn during the pod, and I'm worried I missed something very witty and or insightful. Poppy. Low percentage chance there, Poppy. Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be worried about that specific thing. There's also a button on your on your phone that will let you go backward if you're that worried about it, but I wouldn't be. But, so John, it yeah. turns out that uh, there is a muscle in your ear that protects you from yourself and that if we didn't have it, the sound of our own chewing would, over time, deafen us. Wow. Really? What's the muscle called? It's called the tensor tympani. 
Ooh. And it when it contracts, it does something to your eardrum to make it basically not be able to hear as well. And this it will actually do that uh, if you are exposed to a loud noise. So it doesn't contract immediately. So like a, like a short loud noise is more dangerous than a prolonged loud noise. Though prolonged loud noises are also something that you should be careful of. So it actually contracts for a couple different reasons. One is when our jaws are moving just to protect our ears from the sounds of our own jaw muscles. Wow. Which is gross. Uh, and also chewing, which can be very loud if you're having something crunchy. So wait, uh, is but it, that why when I'm like eating Doritos and watching TV, it starts to feel not only like the sound of my chewing is loud, but also like the sound of the TV is farther away? Yes. Yeah. So it's not just the chewing. Oh, wow. It's also a, it is also a muscle in your ear making it harder for you to hear, protecting you from Doritos which would otherwise actually damage your hearing. You know the way that it is blowing my mind most deeply is that it makes okay. the greatest movie ever made, my favorite film, Penguins of Madagascar, even <laughs> one oh level better. <laughs> because there is a cheesy dibbles joke in Penguins of Madagascar that's one of the greatest jokes ever captured in the history of cinema, mm -hmm. where the main character is being told by the organization that's come to save the penguins, the North Wind, that they are a highly trained organization that's, that cares deeply about animal welfare, but the penguin is eating cheesy dibbles. And so every time the guy starts talking, the penguin's like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I got the I che cheesy dibbles. I just haven't had these in days. <laughs> They're so good. The thing that is deeper for me about that joke right now than it was three minutes ago is that like the cheesy dibbles thing is is the penguin's way of like self-reflexively not hearing this voice of the Anthropocene saying, oh, we care so much about animals, but only cute ones like you. <laughs> it, it's, it's like, it, oh my God, it's a great movie. It's so deep. It's so deep. It, and, you know, the tensor timpani also can contract when you hear loud noises. So it actually has an effect of dampening loud noises to protect your hearing. If only it could do that for certain people's voices. Yeah. Who I am tired of hearing this in the year of 2020 and would just rather not have to hear anymore. Tensor timpani work with me. I need you to collaborate more effectively. <laughs> I get so mad when people don't like Penguins of Madagascar. Like sometimes I'll be in a conversation with somebody. I'll tell them that I really like Penguins of Madagascar and they'll think that it's like a thing that I'm putting on and they'll be like, oh yeah, that was an okay movie. Like it wasn't like WALL-E. No, it wasn't like WALL-E because it's 500 times better. Like, <laughs> WALL-E is a movie that is is about exactly what it pretends to be about. Whereas He's Penguins of Madagascar everybody. is both is about everything. It's about it, Penguins of Madagascar works on every level imaginable. It's like Citizen Kane or Ulysses. Like it. Oh God. This next question comes from Joey, who writes: If it is true that the universe is both infinite and always expanding, like a constantly inflating balloon. Okay, Joey, get this. Everybody says it's like a constantly inflating balloon, except that a balloon has an edge, right? No, that doesn't, John. Not the part, not the two-dimensional part. It's not like the balloon getting bigger. It's the elastic getting bigger. The elastic is the edge. There is a place no, that is beyond the balloon. It's, it's a sphere. There is no edge to a sphere. Okay, okay, okay. All right, right. There's no edge. There's no edge in the same way there's no edge to the earth. But there, there is a there is a thing, and the thing has limits. And it the, is finite. Yes. And the and the limits 
like edge in the most yeah. like wait you don't want to think about a constantly expanding balloon you want to think about an infinitely large sheet of balloon material that is constantly being stretched out so it is both infinitely large but also stretching that's what you want to think of, except it's three-dimensional. Imagine a t-shirt, except that it's infinitely large. I I can't. Where are the arms? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Continue the question. Anyway, does this all mean that we are always expanding too? I don't mean we are we growing because, you know, like we're all growing psychologically and emotionally or whatever. I mean, like what's going on with the empty spaces in my body? Are they getting bigger? And I just don't notice it because everything else empty space is also getting bigger too. How much bigger is the universe inside? <laughs> me since I started writing uh, this email. How loudly should I scream in constant terror about the fact that I am expanding alongside the universe, Joey? So you you are being held together, Joey, by a bunch of forces. And those forces still act over the same distance. And so the, the universe expands, but we, like the things that are being held together by forces don't expand. So we are not getting bigger but not noticing. Though that would be really cool. And if physics had played that out, I would have been like, I guess so. I guess that's what the cosmologists say. So I guess we're all just, you know, over the last 200,000 years, humans have gotten like two inches bigger because the universe is expanding. But the universe expands, but the forces continue to hold things that are being held together by forces together in the same way they were held together before. If that made any sense. I mean, it didn't. But to be fair, it also doesn't make any sense that the universe is both infinite and expanding and doesn't have an edge. And you should imagine it as a balloon, but not like a balloon because it's infinite. And I mean, the thing I've had to come to understand is that to comprehend this, I would need a different brain. <laughs> and I would I, I would I would feel completely hopeless about it. Like, I'm just never going to understand how the universe can be infinite and expanding and have no edge. Mm hmm. Except that I was completely hopeless about ever solving a Rubik's Cube because I, I, I don't know my left from my right and can't navigate my way home from my best friend's house. <laughs> uh, but but now I can solve a Rubik's Cube. And not only can I solve a Rubik's Cube, but I can like consistently solve a Rubik's Cube in under three minutes wow. and occasionally in, uh, in under two minutes. And so having solved the Rubik's Cube through the tutorial made by Robbie Gonzalez, I now feel like maybe... I'm just one Robbie Gonzalez tutorial away from understanding how the universe is infinite, but also expanding. This next question comes from Yasmin, who asks, Dear Green Brothers, why does gatekeeping happen? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why people wouldn't want to share the thing they love and talk about it and get excited about it with others. Yet for some reason, it happens all the time. And even I kind of feel that way sometimes. I don't get it. Humans are weird. Maybe you guys could give me some insight. Sincerely, Yasmin. Pronounced Yasmin, though I try to be yes nice. <laughs> so I think the word gatekeeping has changed a lot since I originally learned its meaning in the early 2000s. So you may have to redefine the word for me. Mm -hmm. It meant the people who decide like critics, librarians, right. people who are on award committees and, and the institutions like publishing houses and movie studios mm -hmm. that decide what kinds of uh, work gets access to a large audience. But it seems like maybe some of those definitions have changed or evolved based on Yasmin's question. Yeah, I think that, that that's true. There's definitely that, that sort of idea of the gatekeepers. But now I think gatekeeping is talked about as a way of like, 
um, you can't come into this fandom unless you have certain qualifications. Oh, this is, okay. Yeah. And okay. like, I can't believe you don't know this. And Right, like yes. you're not a real K-pop fan because you don't follow this or you don't know this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that this exists in all kinds of things. I think it's true in sports and, and I think it's yes. true in, in, in politics. And, I, and to some extent, I think that there's like, we have our own personal experiences of how we started to engage with this stuff. And if your experiences are different, it's almost like, I don't understand how you can love this if you don't have my experience into it, because that that's how I love it. And so it's like a literal failure of empathy, which I think does happen. Like we, we fail at empathy all the time as, as humans. Yeah, there's also the fact that empathy is built to be limited. Like mm-hmm. if we all felt the death of right. each person who dies as if it were someone in our family, it would be difficult to function. Yes. But when it comes to those barriers to fandom, I, I also think there's an element of trying to establish who's in yeah. by establishing who's out, like mm-hmm. trying to establish who's legit by establishing who's definitely not. And you know, people who are seen to have to be hopping on the bandwagon or whatever are treated or in some communities are are treated like they aren't real fans. My favorite fan communities are the ones that are like, hey, welcome on the bandwagon. You <laughs> yeah. are 100 percent welcome. Here's some stuff that you might want to know to help you on this sweet bandwagon ride we're on. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're so happy to have you. Yeah. Openly embrace them for who they are, for where they are. That's the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. The second coolest <laughs> thing, I think. Okay, I'm excited. Is when you know a lot about something, but you like the popular thing anyway. Like, if you're like a huge fan of Hank's books and somebody says, well, so who's your favorite character? And you say, Maya. Now, it's the obvious answer. Like, yeah, she's the most yeah, charismatic right. person, the kindest person in the books. And you could say, I don't know, Carl, <laughs> but it's way cooler, in my opinion, to say Maya. Yeah. So I think like being infectiously enthusiastic mm-hmm. and not being pretentious about your enthusiasms right. is is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And that's I and I also think it's really important to to like allow for people to be at different places and to be enthusiastic when they are when they say something that you you kind of might feel is a little bit of like like if you're into super into beer and the person is like I'll just have a Corona. And you're like, that's great. Yeah. Like, I don't, that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with the Corona. Right. Or, or. Clearly an enjoyable beer. Yeah. Or I'll just have a LaCroix. (laughs) Fine. That's, yeah, that's probably better for you in the end. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Fewer calories. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Corona flavored LaCroix. Corona flavored LaCroix. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you, obviously, by the penguins who live in Madagascar. No, the penguins. No. <laughs> God, you really haven't seen the movie. The, the the flightless birds that live upon the island of Madagascar. Are there penguins that live on Madagascar? There aren't. <laughs> Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by an infinite piece of balloon material <laughs> that. Because it is infinite, has no edge, but is nonetheless expanding into something, but that something is, get this, nothing. (laughs) 
I, I can't help. I'm sorry. And this podcast is also brought to you by John Green, consistently solving U- Rubik's Cubes in under three minutes. John Green, consistently solving Rubik's Cubes in under three minutes seems unlikely. And yet this is what the pandemic <laughs> hath wrought. It's I mean, now I dream of Rubik's Cubes and in wow. my dreams, like I'll wake up and I'll be like, OK, so that would be. R U prime R U R two U prime L oh F god. prime B. It's I, oh my god! I can't stop myself, Hank. That's very weird. We got a project for awesome message. Also, John, it's from Kate in California to TJ. Happy tenth anniversary! You are my best friend and my soup snake. <laughs> I don't think that was an autocorrect mistake. I think that's actually what it's supposed to say. And we hope that that's. <laughs> A personal thing. Thank you for putting up with my nonsense and for all that you do for our family. I love you so much that this is the my only chance to convince John and Hank to be my best friends. And instead, I'm spending it on you. 16 years together has been amazing, and I can't wait to see where this adventure goes next. I am YA. Whatever that is. I meet you always. I miss you always. Maybe I is Mars your all star. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I, I really hope it isn't. I hope that your all star is so. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. Thing that Smash Mouth stay the heck away from. (laughs) This next question comes from Lindsay, who asks Dear Hank and John, but mostly Hank. I recently moved to Missoula, and though I've known for a long time about the M on the top of the hill, it's actually like three quarters of the way up the hill, I had no idea that there was an L on the adjacent hill. Why is there an L on the other hill? None of my housemates know, so we've resorted to guessing that there are hills all across the state that spell out Missoula out of order, like giant lost Scrabble pieces. Any dubious enlightenment would be appreciated. The L probably does not stand for Lindsay. It does indeed not stand for Lindsay. So for context, if you visit Missoula, Montana, which is a fairly small town, I believe Hank is actually the third largest employer in Missoula. That's not true. I'm not. 
No, the third largest employer is a cafe that's also a casino. <laughs> anyway, when you go to Missoula, almost anywhere you are in the valley, you can look up and see this gigantic white M that's like three quarters up a mountainside. And you can also see tiny little people walking up a series of switchbacks to visit this M, mm-hmm. which gives you a sense of like the overall quality of tourist attractions in Missoula. <laughs> They're not going, they're mostly not going to see the M, though there is a bit of that. I guess a little bit you're going to see the M, but then you turn around and it's a nice view of the city. It's mostly what you're going for. Right. But no no one goes like past the M. Right. I bet the view's even better on top of the M, but I've never seen anybody (laughs) up there. Yeah. Weirdly, if you continue going up from the M, you you can, if you are, if you are clever enough, find a weird cave that's full of drug apparel. What? Uh, I don't think that you know what apparel is. <laughs> yeah, not apparel. Per, 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 per. What's that word? Paraphernalia? That's the word. Um, but I really <laughs> like the idea of drug apparel, <laughs> where they just have just like... A bunch, bunch of weed shirts. Yeah, they just have a large collection of free t-shirts with marijuana leaves on them. Anyway, on the other side of the... Somewhere else on a different mountain, about three quarters of the way up, there's a gigantic white L. Yeah. And I have also never understood what what is the deal with the L. Because I figured the M stands for the University of Montana, but I do not know what the L is about. Yeah. So this so this is confusing. So some people think that the M stands for Missoula. It apparently actually does stand for Montana, the University of Montana, which the that part portion of the hill is owned by the university. So if you want to visit the M, you have to park at the university. But I've always wanted it to stand for Missoula, but it doesn't, alas. The thing that I tell people, because the story is actually not great, and it kind of, I don't, it's just a little frustrating to me. Uh, The story I tell people is that all of the mountains in Montana are labeled in alphabetical order. And you've got L, M, and then like down the way there's O. (laughs) That's funny. Or N, I I guess. And it comes after it. It's fine. You're doing great. Please tell me but why it says L. L. The L stands for Loyola, which is a private school. It's not a particularly big private school. Oh. It's not a private school that abuts that mountain, even. And so there was a there was at some point a reason why they got permission to put the L up on the mountain. But there are other schools, and none of them got a mountain. And so I, in general, find this to be both disappointing and also questionable. Well, I love the idea of increasing Montana tourism by making it so that 26 of your mountains have gigantic letters on them. Mm-hmm. And people then would, you know, try to like do all 26 letter mountains in one week or whatever. I I, I think that that could be a big, big thing. Hank, I know that you're looking for your next big idea for your next big project. (laughs) And I think that it could be purchasing and labeling obscure Montana mountains. Yeah. It should be a J because the mountain's called Mount Jumbo, which I just like a lot. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah. What are we going to call this one? Mm, Mount Jumbo? (laughs) It's so big. It's pretty big. It's not like super big, but it's pretty big. What about Jumbo? (laughs) (laughs) Mount Jumbo. Okay, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we do need to address one issue that came up in our previous episode that we got a lot of responses about, which was your purportedly British pronunciation of compost. Compost. (laughs) Still hurts my heart. 
One thing that everybody who wrote in from the United Kingdom agreed about, whether Scottish, Northern Irish, Welsh, or English, <laughs> is that your pronunciation was wrong. But many Welsh people felt that it was Scottish, many Scottish people felt that it was English, <laughs> and many Northern Irish people felt that it was Welsh. It was a little bit like how in the old days, uh, everybody in Italy called syphilis the Polish disease, and in Poland they called it the German disease, and in Germany they called it the Italian disease. <laughs> But but Jake wrote in to say, mm -hmm. dear John and Hank, and I thought this was really fascinating. Okay. Hank put the stress on the second syllable of to compost, and you two wondered if it had something to do with uh, Hank's inherent desire to have a British accent. I don't think it did, writes Jake, but there is actually a good linguistic explanation for what happened in that moment. Oh. Basically, in English, there are a number of words that are both nouns and verbs. When these words are multisyllabic, often, but not always, because God knows nothing is always in English, the noun has the stress on the first syllable, and the verb has the stress on the second syllable. For example, a project becomes to project. A oh. record becomes to <gasps> record. You have a conflict, but things Ugh. conflict. Oh, that's so Hank's cool. Hank's brain, like many native English speakers' brains, has internalized this rule without knowing it. So when he encountered the verb to compost, he automatically applied the rule, my mind is blown. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You applied a yeah. rule that you didn't know about, and that's why you said to compost. <laughs> okay. I, I just switched it because the noun is compost. And I was like, okay, it, then the verb would be compost. I, and Jake also says, I know all this because as well as having studied college level linguistics, I made the same mistake myself last year with the verb to surface. I pronounced it like surface, <laughs> much as John did with Hank. My friends rightly roasted me, but Hank should sleep and speak soundly, knowing that there's a good reason why he said that it was just his brain being a little too observant. Well. Much appreciated, Jake. Oh, Thank no. you so much. Oh, it happened for, again. for freeing me from the burden of believing uh, 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 that I had said compost incorrectly for some British reason. Instead, it wasn't just a normal, normal language reason. I Boy, this this I has I gone worse than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought it was going to go bad. I haven't been so uh, upset with someone whose work I admired since earlier today when Smash Mouth <laughs> played a concert <laughs> in South Dakota. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, John, it's time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Do you have any Wimbledon news? Oh, I have Wimbledon news. Oh. I have Wimbledon news, Hank. We have signed mm? the great hope of our next season Six foot, five inch tall, Ollie Palmer. You are you talked about Ollie last time. I know, but we hadn't signed him, and now we have. Oh, okay. We've signed him <laughs> up, Hank. We are officially back to an old school, proper Wimbledon side. On my favorite soccer podcast, Men and Blazers, they often observe that there are, broadly speaking, two kinds of soccer players. There are big bottom smalls, which are small people with very large bottoms. And then there are small bottom bigs, which are big people with very small bottoms. Those are sort of broadly speaking, the two categories of professional soccer players. Mm -hmm. for, for, for so long, for like two and a half seasons, 
when we play with two strikers at all, we have been playing with two big bottom smalls. Right. And now and now I'm in a situation where I am looking really hard for a picture of Ollie Palmer's bottom. <laughs> well, hey, oh, there's one. <laughs> I'll just tell you, with the emergence of six foot five inch Ollie Palmer, we now have a big bottom small and a small bottom big, which is just what you want leading the line for AFC Wimbledon in the Let's Hope It Happens 2020-2021 season. <laughs> this makes me want to listen to Men in Blazers. Oh, it's like, a great I podcast. Have... <laughs> it's a great podcast. They like, yeah. I mean, they taught, they taught like, like Lionel Messi is the ultimate big bottom small. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant. Big bottom small. Big bottom small. <laughs> Whereas Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. also one of the best players in the world, small bottom big. <laughs> Well, John, yeah. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for AFC Wimbledon. There is Mars news as there is every week. Uh, there is a picture of Mars's night glow, which is a thing that happens on Mars. So the Maven mission took some pictures of the night glow, a set of uh, ultraviolet flashes that are created by the creation of nitric oxide, first observed by the ESA's Mars Express spacecraft. Um, it's uh, as bright as our own northern lights, but you can't see it because it's in ultraviolet. So it's not visible to our eyes, but these pulses do allow us to understand more about Mars's atmosphere. They're created when winds moving uh, along the surface of Mars send gases to denser parts of the atmosphere, and that catalyzes reactions that create nitric oxide. And looking at it, scientists are hoping that maybe they can understand more about how air moves around in Mars's atmospheres. So there's just one, just one atmosphere. Yeah. So scientists are, are hoping to change their perspective a little bit. Instead of looking at the glow from above, they want to look at it sideways, which is going to help them learn more about the vertical winds and Mars's seasons. Hmm. Vertical winds. Vertical winds. Wait, they got wind coming from up? Yeah, wind goes up all the time. Right, but I never feel it. You just don't no mostly notice it cuz like, yeah, you're 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 always at the bottom. Oh. We are we are never in the middle of the atmosphere. We're always at the very bottom of the atmosphere. Right. That's like that time that you explained to me that space really starts like 1 inch above the <laughs> ground and so like every time I jump I'm sort of being an astronaut. Yeah, I would I would also not be the first to say that Earth is just a big old spaceship. Oh, <laughs> dang! Wind is so mm -hmm. weird, and I uh, and and the fact that there's like a lot of wind on Mars just makes me think more about how weird wind is. Yeah, made all little molecules that bump into you, and you feel it. Yeah, I love that about I love that about air. How it's like completely invisible until I move my hands a little bit fast, and then I'm like, there it is. Right, I can feel it. Or you can feel it going in and out of your lungs. Yes, that's the main thing. When when suddenly this air has become a breath, <laughs> it's kind of like I made it alive. Anyway, thanks for coming to uh, John and Hank uh, hike to the top of the M and uh, put on some stoner T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the word jumbo weird? <laughs> well, Hank, thanks as always for expanding my mindscape without ever quite explaining to me how the universe can be infinite without having an edge. Yeah, I pretend like I understand. <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We love your emails. We really appreciate them. Thank you for writing in. What podcast would we have without them? This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Halser, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. 
Dan. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Trakravarti. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.